It's a joy to see you all out this evening, <coughs> and I hope in prayer that others will be coming and will be with us very shortly. We do have this wonderful opportunity this evening again to gather around the Lord's table in remembrance of him and what was accomplished on the cross of Calvary. Now let us just bow in prayer as we open our service this evening. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful privilege that we have been afforded, that once again we could enter this place, this building, this sanctuary, set aside to worship and to praise your holy name. We thank you for the privilege that we have that we can come openly and as we come tonight, specifically as we once again remember your finished work on Calvary's cross. When you gave the best of heaven, Ed, your well-beloved son. And after he had gone through the process, was crucified and nailed to the cross, <coughs> he said, it is finished. The redemptive work of salvation had been done. And so we know, he said, that all those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. And so we have this privilege this evening once again to remember this most important event, not only in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, but in the life of the church. Maybe never. Father, take it for granted, take it casually. But may each time we gather and we remember what you have done for us, truly our hearts may rejoice within us. So we ask this evening that you would bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And wouldn't that be glorious if he comes right now, and we see him as he is? I'm looking forward to that day. And I'm going to sing a, a medley of familiar hymns, and uh, feel free to join in if you uh, wish to. shout of acclamation and take me home 
home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. trumpet will sound for his coming one day the skies with his glory will shine wonderful day my beloved ones bringing this Jesus is mine living me Once again, as Brother Jerry said a little while ago, we have a wonderful privilege to gather as God's people for the purpose of remembering Him. And this is always a special time for God's people. Thank God for the opportunity. And... Um, what I wanted to do tonight was to share a few passages that we've all heard before. But I want to make comments as I go along. And I want to start out with a very familiar passage of Scripture. And as I read that, you'll notice that on the night that the Lord Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, it was during a meal. 
And today, how we do communion, or I should say how communion is done today, is a lot different than how it was done at that time. But it is still a very special time for God's people. Not because of the method, but because of the purpose. And when Jesus instituted communion and instructed us that when we do so, it is to remember him, that's what makes it special. Because he says, for as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you do so to remember him, but you also proclaim his death until he comes. And so, even though today it is done a little different, much different, it is still a special time for God's people. Again, because of the purpose. We gather to remember him. In Luke chapter 22, Reading at verse 7. It should be on the screen. Then the day of the festival of unleavened bread came, on which the Passover lamb was sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover meal. Now, I want you to notice the emphasis that was placed on preparation. There were 12. Even though Judas was a betrayer, he was still a part of the group. But notice who Jesus sent. He sent Peter and John. In other words, he did not leave that to just anyone. Could it be? See, both of these men were in the inner circle and involved in all of the significant details of Jesus' life and ministry. And then in verse 9, they asked him, Where do you want us to prepare it? He said to them, Just after you go into the city, a man carrying a jug of water will meet you. Follow him to the house he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upstairs room that is furnished. Get things ready for us there. As I said, notice the emphasis being placed on preparation. Could this serve as a reminder to us? for us to be personally prepared? Could that be a reminder to us that prior to us partaking, that we too should emphasize how prepared we should be in our own hearts to partake of the Lord's Supper? So they went and found everything just as Jesus had told them. And they prepared the Passover meal. 
Now when the hour came, he took his place at the table along with the apostles. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will never eat I will never again eat one until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Could the location and the setting be an indication to us that communion, as we know it, should be a special place, in other words, where believers gather, and a special time, that is, when they meet. Then he took a cup, gave thanks, and said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will never drink the product of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, gave thanks, broke it in pieces, and handed it to them, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Keep on doing this in memory of me. He did the same thing with the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. I want you to notice that when the communion meal was instituted, as I said earlier, it was during a communion meal, a time of close personal fellowship. To me, this showed unity of the body of believers, which I feel, I believe, it's the same message that the Apostle Paul was trying to convey in the First Corinthians 11 passage that we have looked at before, and again, we will be reminded again in just a little while. The unity of the believers. When we look at the First Corinthians passage, once again, you will be reminded of the emphasis that the Apostle Paul placed on eating together, on being one, being a body, and how he challenged them, how he chastised them for their behavior when it was reported to him. And you will see later, based on the significance of the meal, he just could not let that go unchallenged. When you fully understand what is the significance of the communion table, the purpose for communion, he could not let it go unchallenged. And you'll see that in a little while. But from what we see in this passage, I think Paul was trying to convey the same message as the Lord Jesus was trying to portray uh, in this Luke's passage. This is not... Paul was saying to them, this is not how it's done today. Unfortunately, well, let me back up a bit. Uh, the Apostle Paul shares in 1 Corinthians passage, and the same thing he chastised him for, which we will see later. This is not how it's done today, unfortunately. And as a result, we have lost the significance of it. And I, and I wanted to point out, just, just, just look around. Not to, not to put down anybody, but tonight we have gathered to remember the Lord. 
Look at the empty pews to my left. Look at the empty pews to my right. There are many who claim they love the Lord. There's nothing they won't do because of Him, what He has done for them. But twice a month, we as a body meet to remember Him, to say, Lord, thank you. Would you look at the attendance on a Sunday evening when we meet to remember the Lord? Is it as significant as it ought to be? There's a group of us who meet regularly to pray for the persecuted church. We've been doing that now for a number of years. Where we pray specifically for those who are persecuted for the faith. They long, they long to have an opportunity like this to meet in just just to be able to meet, to worship. But if they're caught, they're arrested, they're attacked, they're imprisoned, the churches are burned, the town is burned. It's because that is not allowed. They long just to be able to have a place where they can go to freely to worship. And we have opportunity after opportunity. And so we have lost the significance. One thing I agree with Brother Paul, Brother Paul Worrell, when he says, these are the faithful ones. You guys are the faithful ones. And I thank God for that. And so we, we long to see more people join us because this event is such a significant one that we should be rushing to get here because of the purpose for communion, because of the significance of communion. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14, I'll back up to verse 13. My servant will be successful. He will be respected, praised, and highly honored. Many will be shocked by him. His appearance will be so disfigured that he won't look like any other man. His looks will be so disfigured that he will hardly look like a human. He will cleanse many nations with his blood. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. They will see things that they had never been told. They will understand things that they had never heard. You think about those two verses. His appearance will be so disfigured that he won't look like any other man. His looks will be so disfigured that he will hardly look like a human. That was the appearance of our Lord Jesus when he was crucified, when he went to the cross for us, when he was bruised and beaten, when he was suffered. And he did so because he loved us enough that he stayed to the cross to endure that for us. And right down to Isaiah 53, it says, And who has believed our report? 
and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb or silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. The last few words, let me read that again. And made intercession for the transgressors. In other words, he was praying for those who was crucifying him. Can you say, in all honesty, that as if you are attacked or beaten, can you whisper a prayer to the Lord on behalf of those who are attacking you or robbing you? Or if your home or car was broken into and destroyed or vandalized, How difficult would it be to whisper a prayer for them? That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. While he was being crucified, he made intercession for the transgressors. But you know, it wasn't just those who was crucifying him, making intercession for us too. We may not have been there at that time, but our sin was. See, tonight, we, the comments is totally separate, uh, centered around communion. And so all that is shared will be centered around remembering him. Our sin was a part of the transgression for which he made intercession. And then the Apostle Paul takes it up in 1 Corinthians 11. And again, very familiar passage of Scripture. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you. Because you come together not for the better, 
but for the worse. You know what Paul was saying? In no uncertain terms, that if this is how you behave in the assembly, or if this is your idea of remembering the Lord, stay home, don't bother coming. When you read here a little further down what the behavior was like, and I'm sure you've, you're familiar with, with the behavior, because you're coming here with that kind of attitude is a mockery. And as a result, it makes things worse, not better. And he goes on to explain that statement in verse 18. He says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it, implying that what he had heard had come from a reliable source. That the report that came to him He could believe what he heard. He said, For there must also be factions among you, in order that those who are approved may have become evident among you. Verse 20. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not the Lord's Supper. In reference to their behavior, he says, It can't be the Lord's Supper that you're eating. Not in that fashion. Not with that type of conduct. He describes in verse 21 what they're doing. He says, For in your eating, one takes his own supper first. Meaning that those who could afford to bring a meal ate it by themselves. They had an attitude of selfishness. That they ate what they brought. So those who were too poor to afford to bring a meal got shared out because they did not share or they did not look around to see who may not have had something to partake of or to eat during the meal, during the supper. They very selfishly ate what they brought without any regard for others. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. And they ate it by themselves without sharing with those too poor to afford it, while others got drunk. Now, again, we, our communion is not during a supper. For instance, in the auditorium. And we have had a, a koinonia feast several times in the auditorium. We have a meal. And then we observed the Lord's Supper. I thought it was fantastic. And if you were there and you remember what I'm talking about, that is as close as I have ever seen it come to what we are talking about here. Where it was a meal and we had communion. We had the elements present and we partook of those elements during that meal. That's the closest I've ever seen it come to what we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 11. In all honesty, I wish, because of the significance of this event, I wish that for the two Lord's Days that we observe communion in the month, I just wish there was some way that we could get, where we can have communion 
during a meal. Because that is part of remembering. That is how it was done. That was the setting when it was instituted. I thank God for us being able to remember him. I just think it would just be just even that more special if the entire setting was centered around a meal with the communion observed during that time. The reason why uh, I guess one of the reasons why. When we used to live in New Hampshire, we had a Seder feast one Easter while I was there. The elements was there, of course. But we also had the bitter herbs. And it, it was put on by some Jewish Christians who were part of that assembly. But they had a little of everything. That was the closest that I've ever seen it. Um, but all that goes into um, the Lord's Supper um, by Jewish Christians. I'd just love to see uh, something like that done. Okay, in verse uh, 22, he asks, do you not have homes in which to eat and drink? Suggesting that that type of behavior should be left there and not practiced in the assembly. Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? And he answers it himself. He said, of course, I will not praise you. Paul is adamant in emphasizing that their behavior is totally unacceptable. And then moves to remind them of something he had shared with them previously. For he said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And verse 25, In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul now confirms the source of this revelation. He says, what I received from the Lord, and the, and, he, and the reminder that they had heard this before from him, and that it was Jesus himself who instituted this feast of remembrance, with the purpose being to remember him. And how remembering him is significant because it proclaims his death. And then he says, for how long? He says, until he comes, until I come. Paul now confirms um, Paul 
Paul now confirms the source of this revelation. He says, what I received from the Lord and reminded that what he, what he, had, he had said this to them before, and that it was Jesus himself who instituted this feast of remembrance with the purpose of remembering him. Now he shares with them the consequences. For he says, failing to do a self-examination. Therefore, whoever, meaning no one is excluded, the word whomever. No one is excluded. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. He says, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. And then he says, but we are judged, but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we will not be condemned with the world which is something that they did, they did not want, and what he does not want for them either. And then in, he comes to the solution. He says in verse 28, a person must examine himself first, and then eat the bread and drink of the cup. Again, notice the importance Paul places on self-examination. My friends, this is of great importance. As a matter of fact, it is imperative because he says or he warns that it must be done first. And the reason is because failing to do so results in judgment. He says, when you come together as a body, wait for each other. And if one is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, It will not be for judgment. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. The Apostle Paul here confirms what they may not have known. The reason why so many of them were weak, sick, and why some had died. But he says in verse 31, If we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are being disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. And so he says in verse 33 and 34, So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. That's the loving thing to do. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. And he says, the remaining matters I shall arrange when I come. And I will, I will end with this. When you understand the message of the cross and the purpose for communion, to engage in authentic worship, participating in the Lord's table requires humility, Confession and repentance. Let me say that again. When you understand the message of the cross and the purpose for communion, to engage in authentic worship, participating in the Lord's table, requires humility, confession, 
and repentance. Let us take the time to follow the instructions given to us by the Lord himself to examine our hearts before him and to get right with others where necessary. Yes, Father, we are so thankful that once again we have the privilege to gather around your table for the express purpose of remembering you. We are so thankful that we have this privilege that you admonished us to gather, to remember what we are taught, what the attitude of our hearts should be when we gather in preparation. And you emphasize the importance of being prepared in our own hearts and how we should approach the Lord's table. We're thankful for that. Continue to draw us closer as we quieten our hearts before you and just pour our hearts through in preparation for this wonderful time. Thank you for making this possible. This time the men can now come forward, those who are going to be serving.
return to the front as we continue to keep our thoughts on the Lord Jesus. for your presence to thank you for Jesus. When he took the bread, he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Father, as we take the bread, Father, we take it to remember the second coming 
of your son Jesus. We will give you praise and thanks. But we ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. It's a special time in the life of the believers when we gather together in obedience to God's word to partake of these emblems that he left here before he went to heaven. And we remember his last words, one of his last words. As often as he eat the bread, do it in remembrance of me. That's what we're going to do tonight with thanksgiving. Let us eat together. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. As we hold this cup, we do remember his instruction to partake in remembrance of him. Freely he shed his lifeblood on the cross that we who have trusted in him would have eternal life. And we know this is true, for he had victory over the grave. Even though his lifeblood was shed, he rose and he lives today. And we live today. We live today spiritually as a result of his sacrifice. And we give thanks for this. And we do do this as instructed in remembrance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we hold this cup in our hands, symbolizing the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture tells us no more the blood of bulls and goats are needed because the perfect, spotless, unblemished Lamb of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, shed his blood to redeem us, to save us from our sins. Let us partake and drink up the cup together. Please stand with us as we sing our closing hymn, number 194, stanzas one and three. <laughs> 